beautiful people on Babs Rolls Ivy. Welcome to Love Babs Love Talk. Yeah, I know my screen is doing its own thing. I got to figure I think it's my my camera on my my desktop is funky and uh I got to figure out how to fix that. And uh I don't know. So, anyway, bear with it. It looks very uh Andy Warhol. <laughs> That's all I can say. There's nothing I can do about it right now. I'll, I'll I'll fade in and out. It's Thursday. Happy Thursday. Uh this week flew by. I can't believe it. And uh you know, it's a it's a day. <laughs> so, uh welcome everybody. How's everybody doing? Today was my my last day of uh, carpooling. I've been uh, taking the lovely uh, Sienna McLean to school. She goes to the Obama Magnet School over there, next in, sitting in the campus of Southern. So I've been taking her to school. Listen, you don't know what life is like until you talk to a six-year-old. Nothing makes you fight harder for a better world than a conversation with a six-year-old who just has no clue about what is happening in the world. and And... They just talk about the things that are just about what is happening in their in their world. And it's so refreshing. So I just want y'all to know uh, she has renewed my my commitment to uh, fight harder for a better world for our kids. I mean, she's my kid. I mean, her mother. I mean, she's her parents kid, but I'm claiming her as my kid, too. So. Anyway, uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, she's a lovely child, and I want her to be a child for as long as she can. I want her to have all the things that children should have, you know, peace and happiness and well-being. And uh, so if I got whatever part I got to play in that, I'm going to do it. You know, even though I threatened to leave boards and get out of service. How can you get out of service when all you know is to serve? And uh, that's the truth. So there you go. Our mother is getting well and, and recuperating and uh, and glad to sort of support my sister friend because, you know, Black women don't know how to set down. <laughs> you know, we don't know how to set down. We just keep in the midst of all kinds of pain and pain and suffering. We'll just soldier on. And uh, never occurs to us that, because we know if we stop, nothing gets done. We know if we stop, the world stops. Honest to God, the world stops. And maybe we should let it stop, <laughs> you know, for good measure. Maybe we should let it stop. So we shall see. But uh, anyway, it's been my pleasure to drive her to school. You know, she's a, she's not a she's a talkative child, but not a talkative child. You know. And uh, and she's a very smart child. Like she's very uh, 
She's a very intuitive, wise child, you know. And I, I, I'm always amazed at those kinds of kids, you know, those intuitive, wise children who, who seem to know way more than they should, you know. And, and not, not in a sassy way. I, don't, I do not mean that in a sassy way. I mean, she processes things rather quickly and gets, and she's very observant. She's a very observant kid. Uh, and uh, and that's what I like about her. You know, nothing, nothing, uh, nothing gets past her. You know, she thinks about things deeply. As a little kid, I mean, she's six, but she still thinks about things, and you could see it in her when you talk to her. You know, so anyway. You 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 carpool mommies are soft. You don't you don't have it back in my day. I said this all week. I've been saying this for two weeks. <laughs> Y'all soft. <laughs> soft, soft, soft. No jockeying, no nothing. It's all sweet goodness and light. They come to your car. And I know it's a COVID thing. Like I, I know it's a throw, I know it's a protocol formed in COVID. Unless I'm wrong, unless they've always was doing this before COVID. I don't know. I don't, I have no way of knowing and I, I don't care to ask because, you know, it's not that deep for me, but anyway, I'm a little tired this morning. So I had study group last night, got up this morning and did some studying for the LSAT. And uh, I, this is what I know. And this is what's becoming apparent. I cannot study when I'm tired, but I, I don't know anybody who should be doing that, but there are some people who could like, soldier through. I was very tired last night and I really should not have uh, did my homework. And I did my homework on the digital platform. And, you know, there's no way to go back and fix it, you know? So I'm gonna have to absorb that hit. I'm gonna have to absorb it. So I'm just telling you that I wish I didn't study that stuff. I wish I would have took some other time with it. But that's all right. I'll talk it over with. And I meet with my coach, my one-on-one coach this morning. I meet with her. I'll tell her about it. Maybe she can help me fix it. I, I was really tired yesterday when I jumped into the study group. And I and I really should not have. I really should have just went to bed. That because that was my intention. And then I was like, well, you know, it's it's early. I could jump on the call. I really should have just jumped in the bed. That's what I should have done. And I and I'm I'm a little myth that I didn't know. Trust myself. So anyway, uh that's life as we know it. <laughs> that is that is life as we know it. Uh tonight they're screening uh jazz in New Haven at Next Haven. And my soul wrote Dolores Greenley, um, her family, her father uh started the Monterey, I believe, her father. And uh, they're screening a film tonight. Uh, tonight also, uh, Paul Bryant Hudson and his team over at Dwight Hall, they are doing Liberation Table, which I love Liberation Table. I absolutely love Liberation Table. I love the concept. I love everything about it. Um, and that's going on. So I'm trying to figure out <laughs> all the things that I could, uh, all the things that I could try to get to, which I, I don't know. Um, I'm going to try. And then 
you know, Paul McCartney is in town. I've been invited to to um, catch up with Paul McCartney. And I'm trying to see, <laughs> I'm trying to see uh, what makes sense. Uh, what makes sense? Uh, what makes sense? What can I? What can I do? And I, I might. I might. I know it's Black History Month, but I might go see Sir Paul. I might. We'll see how it all. Uh, we might. It, it, it depends. It depends. It depends. It it depends. So um, I got it. I got a text, and I gotta. Uh, I gotta respond to it uh, before they think I'm blowing them off. And I'm not. I'm absolutely not. I'm just. Uh, I'm just trying to uh, get my get my my bearings. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's, it's like one of those things where, you know what I, you know what I love to say? I love wrestling. I love wrestling with all the, all the opportunities that are, uh, you know, before us in this town for activities. <laughs> you know, so, and he's got, you know, he's got to talk about his new book and uh, from seven to eight thirty. Uh, uh, I, I might have to just pass on that. I, I mean, I would love to see Sir Paul McCartney, but oh, <laughs> I've got way too many activities. I don't know if I'll be able to get around the way I want to get around. And uh, they're going to release them to the public. And I I uh, thank you. I have to. I think I'm gonna have to say uh, thank you, but no, thank you. I think I got to make a decision like ASAP. <laughs> uh, oh, it's not today. Oh, you know what? I won't be able to make it. You know why? Because I will be at. Um, I will be at uh, this event is February 16th. And I will be at Lyman for the Seven Lenses reception. That's where I'll be. So I I can't in good conscience come to this because uh, I will be, uh, I have to tell them, oh my. Uh, so I'm going to have to tell them. Uh, but I am. So I will be. Hosting a reception for at Lyman. So, you know, I just want to say, you know, it's Black, it's Black History Month. <laughs> and, uh, you know. And so go ahead, do, do what you got to do with these tickets. That's all. Yeah, so now that's been decided. Decided! I'm done. So, Sir Paul McCartney, I'm sorry I won't be able to hang out with you. So sorry. You know, if any other time, I'd be with you. Uh, yes, I think I'm coming to this. Uh, oh, no, maybe I'm not going to that. Oh, God, I got to figure out all the things. There's so many things going on. I'll figure it out. So. Trying to go to stuff and study. What a fool. What a fool, I say. What a fool. I've got um, Gary Tenney coming on at 10.15 to talk about, you know, he's the uh, police commissioner 
for the city of town of Hamden. So he's coming on to talk about, you know, fire commission stuff that's going on in Hamden and all the, all the stuff that firefighters are still having to battle. Firefighters of color are still having to battle, you know? And uh, so he's coming on to talk about that a little bit. Uh, I guess Paul is out there on these streets looking for an uh, unsuspecting New Haven citizen or transplantee to uh, catch up on. What is the word on the street? What is the word on the street? So, so I'm looking forward to that conversation and uh, see who he picks today. I've been enjoying all the people that he's been running up on. You know, lately we've been running up on It's nice to sort of see, you know, like uh, seeing the flag guy, uh, the flagger, talk about his job and all the necessary certifications that go into having that job. It's not just a guy standing out there with a flag saying, go this way, go that way. There's some real training and and detail to this. And I, I did not know that. I had no idea. I just thought, oh, uh, let's just put somebody out here with a flag so they could watch our back, make sure nobody runs into us. But there's a whole, there, there's real training to this. There's real um, commitment uh, to safety. I mean, it is a legit job that comes with certifications and training and education, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I found that pretty impressive. I found it pretty impressive. So, um, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Cool. So, um, I dig it. I dig it. I dig it. So, so I learned about that. I learned about the nurses and the, and, and people listen to the nursing conversation. Thank you, Ina Williams, for tuning in. I appreciate you. And she high-fived the nurses, her nursing team, and uh, uh, and sent it around and sent it around the 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 Yale University, the Yale Hospital uh, healthcare system. She sent it around. So high five. Feel free to sponsor us if you want. <laughs> Feel free. Feel free. So we'll we'll happily we'll happily shout out the Yale Yale New Haven Health Center Healthcare. Health Network, Health Universe, whatever y'all call yourselves. Uh, we're happy to do that. So high five to President Biden for the uh state of the state of the state of the country, <laughs> state of the state, state of the country uh remarks. He put it down. I must say, I I I think everybody was like, wow. Biden brought it. He brought it. He brought it. He was witty, he was funny. You know, he he rolled with the booze. I, I don't understand. This is what this is the part I don't get with these Republicans. They are some of the nastiest acting people. And I don't want to hear both sides of the of the aisle because that's crap. I've never seen Democrats. Now look who we have on the Democratic side. We, we have some statesmen, people who know how to behave. On that Republican side, though, they have trash, man. The way that they carry on in spaces, it's embarrassing. And I and I know some of these people are parents and have kids. And I know that they have kids that play on teams and stuff. But this is the kind of stuff that we throw parents off of 
sport out of sporting events for for that kind of behavior it's embarrassing to me i would never carry on that way in a space that is uh that has so much history and so and and is so respected around the world that they go in there but then you know they're the party of the insurrectionists so they don't care about it <laughs> what what do they care <laughs> They're probably they're probably pl plotting another insurrection as we speak. The way that they're carrying on, it was like they was at some kind of football game in the sticks, and they drank too much. I, it's embarrassing that these people carry on this way. You know, embarrassing. Oh, they, look, my screen just went totally, totally green. All right, let me do that. Oh, and then the little light went out too. I don't even see the light. Okay, so it might be a it might be a um it might be a light bulb situation. I don't know. See, there's the light again. So it might it might be a light bulb situation. I'm gonna leave it alone. But it's back. But it went totally green, like like a green screen. Like I came on and been Godzilla or something. You know, green screen CGI kind of stuff. So anyway, I I I state of address Biden high five. That was that was pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. These Republicans are out of their minds. I don't think they, I don't really think they have a vision or a goal. <laughs> I think the vision and the goal is just to be oppositional, which doesn't, doesn't govern, right? Oppositional does not govern. They're not interested in governing. They're just interested in oppos being oppositional and raising money on the oppositional stuff that they take a stance on. And, and these people who support them like it. They just keep sending money. Oh, they're doing something. No, they're not doing anything. They're being oppositional. It's not making your life better. It's absolutely not making your life better. It's being fools. And, and you're spending your money for a ship of fools. But, you know, all right. Far be it for me to tell you what to do with your, with your money. I know where my money goes. But if you want to send your money to that kind of foolishness, well, all right, keep 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 draining your and and it's all and it's the poorest of the poor people. It's not it's not people who really should be doing this. It's people who really can't do this. <sighs> I I you know in in that regard in in regarding the hope for the future and this is that's how I think about this all the time because I'm watching I'm watching that little sci-fi show Last of Us when uh, uh, a virus just takes over uh the the world and just kills a bunch of people and and decimates all the systems and i and i think about that kind of stuff um often i think about like if 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 we have some kind of natural disaster or catastrophe how do we how do we move people i mean we've seen highways backed up for accidents we've seen uh highways backed up other on on other natural disasters and how do we move people? And what and what what can we do as humans and as community to sort of ensure our well-being and safety in times of trouble and and unrest and civil unrest? And I I don't know if there's a plan for that. I I don't know if there is an evacuation plan. If there is a a shelter in place plan. Like what happens if the unthinkable happens? And how do we prepare? And listen, 
I'm not trying to be a doomsday nothing. I That is not how I roll. I'm always thinking about the future. I'm always thinking about brighter days ahead. I'm never, I'm not a doomsday person, but you gotta, at some point though, you gotta spend a little time thinking about what if. A lot, I allow myself that, not all the time, because I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I do allow myself. And I, and I do it because I sit on the verge of turning 60 and, and, and what does that look like? And, And how much time do I have left? And what will the world be like? And, and if something jumps off, where does that leave me um, vulner- vulnerability-wise and, and community-wise? And, and what needs to happen? Am I prepared? You know, I go out there right now, my car is not even full of gas. <laughs> so I'm thinking if I ever get myself a couple of million dollars, I would buy me a thousand acres somewhere <laughs> off the beaten path. And then I'm just going to start tricking it out to be like I'm off grid if I had to buy my own satellite. I mean, what what is it that I have to do to be self-sufficient and put up like fencing and all the kind of that? I'm serious about this. And 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 who do I take? You know, like a veritable Noah's Ark, but on land. Or maybe I got to look at being on sea. And I, I really don't want to do that, but I'm just thinking about it. I know I'm not a, listen, I am not a conspiracy theorist by any stretch, but there are some things that give me pause. And there are things that we should all give. Like if you had to evacuate your house right now, where would you go? Who would you call first? And if you couldn't call somebody, where, how would your people find you? How would they know where to find you? You know, how would they know? That's something to think about. That's something you think about now, not when it's happening. <laughs> I know everybody's like, and I can feel the collective. Oh, Babs, that's so, that's so, that's so just a downer. I don't want to think about that. No, I know people don't want to think about that. They don't want to think about death. They don't want to think about anything. What do you want to talk about then? <laughs> I, you want to talk about uh, Jennifer Lopez and and Ben Affleck? He was he was uh, sitting at the Grammys, you know. It's like taking a man shopping who don't like to go shopping. You just don't do it. Don't just, you just don't do it. Now, I know lots of women who think taking a man shopping is, is some, is a way to spend time with the man. That's not a way to spend time with a man, unless he's a man that likes shopping. Otherwise, he's just going to be annoyed and you're just going to be annoyed at him being annoyed. And so it won't feel good because he'll go, why do we have to go in every store? <laughs> That you said you knew what you was coming to the mall for. <laughs> and then you'll get annoyed because he's annoyed because it's not as fun for him as it is fun with you or as fun as it is with you and your girlfriends. You and your girlfriends could run through the mall like terrorists. You know, not a problem. But when you're with your man, if he's not a shopper and he's just going along because that's the way to keep peace in the house, he doesn't really enjoy it, but he enjoys you. That's annoying. I don't, I would never put a man through that. My, my then husband, my ex-husband, he liked going shopping. He's always like, let's go to the mall. (laughs) I was like, okay, let's go, let's go to the mall. And I I thought I liked the mall, but I didn't really like the mall. (laughs) 
And then and then we I suggested, oh well, let's split up. You go do what you want to do for an hour. I'd go do what I want to do for an hour. We'll meet up at the food court or whatever. Or we'll meet somewhere. And and it would be great. He loved it. I loved it for him. So I didn't have a grumpy husband on my hands. <laughs> I didn't have a grumpy husband. I just didn't. Because I understood, you know, him dragging him to every store. It was just not um was just not a good idea. Just not a good idea. So I, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. So we had a plan. I always had a plan. So I, I'd be in the mall now. I'd go to stores now. I see men just looking bewildered and overwhelmed <laughs> and tired. <laughs> so uh peoples, peoples, my peoples. Stop taking your men to, to the mall when they, you know damn well the mall is not their thing. It's just not their thing. You know, it's just not their thing. And you doing it is not going to make it their thing. You know, it's just going to create stress and you being annoyed and he being annoyed that you're annoyed. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so anyway, I say all that to say, I think about escape, evacuation, what's going to happen. I think about these things deeply because everybody's not going to be able to get out and the highways are going to be jammed and the survivorless people, you know, they, they're going to know how to go off road <laughs> and they got all the, they got all the stuff that they need to go off road, regular everyday people. We don't know what to take. We got to take some water and some Pop-Tarts. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's how we think we're going to survive, you know, and maybe some ginger ale. So I just, I just, I think about that kind of stuff all the time. I just do. I think about it. I think about it. Um, and I, and I just notice when there's traffic jams and when there's, uh, you know, when there's uh, uh, natural disasters and what happens to people, where do people go and uh, how do you how do you get resources to people, you know, and I don't know what the preparedness plan is in our town. Like, I don't I don't really know. Have we ever had a, you know, as this maybe this mayor can like have a simulation, like pick a day where everybody in New Haven has to figure out how to get the hell out of New Haven. You know? I don't know. Maybe that's just too much to ask. That's too weird. Maybe that's just too weird, right? But I just feel like there ought to be a drill of some sort to give us a sense, to give us a sense of what this could look like. I, and like I said, I'm not a I'm not a conspiracy theorist, you know. I'm not one of those people. But I I do think about these things, and I think about how do I communicate to my kids if I if we need to get out of Dodge, like where would they, where would they um, go? How we would communicate, you know? Um, how do we get it together, you know? I know their father would probably be good at this because he's one of these, you know, survivalist people. 
you know, uh, he would have a good a good sense of how to do this. But you know, I think about this, and uh, I think about it deeply. I do. So anyway, enough of that. I, I'll 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 get up off that because <laughs> I know. Uh, uh, I know that y'all are uh, will feel some kind of way about it, but think about it. Don't just take my word about it. Just get in your private spaces and think about it. That's all I'm saying. Don't don't take my word for it. Just get in your private spaces, think about it, and be like, "Hmm, does Babs have a point? Does she have a point? Is she? Does she?" Possibly. It's like, okay. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, 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 maybe. Anyway, I'll leave it alone. (laughs) Ah, all right. So Liberation Table tonight, if y'all are inclined. Let me see where it is. Uh, I kind of know. Let me look. So I got the flyer. I think it's at Dwight Hall. And uh, let's see. Yes, it's at Dwight Hall. 67 high. And it's free. It's free. It's free. So you might want to go. It's from uh, 5 to 8. So that might be worth it. I might pop over there at 5 o'clock and uh, leave at 6 and then run over to uh, Next Haven. See if I could catch some of the film, stick my head in, and then uh, and then that'll be my night. I'm I'm thinking, oh no, maybe not. I've got, oh boy, <laughs> never mind. All the plans go out the window. Forget it. <laughs> Forget everything I said. Go where you gotta go, people. Go where you gotta go. So I got I got one on one tutoring at four o'clock so uh that's for an hour so i might yeah i might be able to make things but if i yeah i might here comes paul bass word on the street i don't know who he found today but i'm excited hey paul bass good morning babs how you doing i'm good how are you good i'm in one of the garden of eden spots in new haven with dominique and bamboo do you know Rainbow Park on Edgewood Ave? It's that pocket park. It's right near um, Howe, in between Howe and White. It's, you know, beautifully landscaped. Some neighbors claim the area. Oh, and yes, Dominique I do know it. Yes. It. Good morning, Dominique. Say hi to Love Babs. Love Talk. Hi, Love Babs. I know Dominique. I know. <laughs> hi. Hi, Miss Babs. How are you? Babs, can you hear us okay? Yes, I hear you perfectly. Great. So, Dominic, you and Bamboo are hanging out here in the park. And I asked you if you come here often, because uh, I don't want to pretend we didn't have yeah. a conversation. And you told me you discovered it a week or so ago, but you yeah. live nearby. Mm-hmm. So, I was walking my dog kind of just around, and then something made me turn down the street. And I was like, what is this? It was so beautiful. It is amazing when you first come about it, because the sign, it starts yes. with the rainbow. Exactly. And it's like this gate. It's almost to me like a C.S. Lewis novel mm-hmm. or something like all of a sudden, this world opens up. You didn't know it was right here. On, on yeah, Asia, you know? it was beautiful. And I actually brought my friend here yesterday. 
um, with his baby. I was like, you got to see this park. Your baby will love it. And so I've been telling everybody about it. So a week and a half ago, what were you doing? And it was a week and a half ago? Yeah. What were you doing when you discovered it? I was just walking my dog. Bamboo. Bamboo. And then we turned down the street. And like you said, the sign just drew me in. It's beautifully laid out, all of the plants. And do you feel the way I do that even in winter, because, you know, a lot of flowers are here. It's this amazing place. I find landscapes like this in parks just as beautiful in winter when they're less blooming with color, but they have the resistant reeds and stalks. Mm -hmm. And it's still landscape. It's kind of saying nature has its seasons and we're in it. Exactly. No, I think seeing there's still pops of green, even the brown is still so beautiful. So it's really grounding to me. And also, did you feel like you stepped out of the hurly burly of the city? (laughs) Definitely. It's just a calm little oasis. So I like to come here and sit. And he'll explore, smell the leaves. So it's a really good reminder to just take a pause. It is good. And how long you've lived in the neighborhood? Um, we're nearing on a year and a half. And where do you live? You don't tell me this, this building, but like how close? Like where? I live um, kind of within like the next like three blocks just around here. So I live in Dwight. You live in Dwight, like on mm-hmm. Chapel? Mm-hmm. So you'd walk, you probably walked by here a lot of times without noticing or you just happened not to go I just turn down the street. Yeah, I don't often turn down the street. And is that because usually a foot, right? Mm-hmm. Because everyone has their shortcuts in their routines. Mm-hmm. So do you normally like go on Elm or Chapel instead of Edgewood? I would just go down Chapel and then actually make a right. And so something made me make a left and I had to swing back around. Oh. So it was a very serendipitous surprise. That is nice. So Bamboo is what kind of dog? Um, He's a Schnauzer Poodle mix. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so now what do you do for, do you say you're a Yale Law student? Mm-hmm. And where are you from originally, Dominique? Chicago. Uh-huh. Yes. So how is it compared to other a lot of parks like this in Chicago? There actually are a few like programs like this to, I don't know if this is funded through a program like that, but in Chicago we have some programs to turn vacant lots into kind of neighborhood gardens, community gardens. So it reminded me of that, just the fact that there's residential buildings flanking the park. So that felt familiar. Um, but I haven't seen one this beautiful yet in Chicago. Oh, wow. And you know, it struck me, Chicago is an occasional visitor, mm-hmm. was the huge amounts of shoreline that opened the public, which is so different from here. Mm. Like I remember one night in like 20 degrees, I walked for miles up and down the shore yeah. and thought you can't do that here. No. But they don't have this pocket park there. <laughs> we don't have the pocket park. So what are we doing this morning? How long have you been here with Bamboo? Um, we've probably been here about 10 minutes before you stop by. And how long do you usually stay? Uh, probably like 20, 30 minutes. Really? Now you're, I take it you're a busy person. Mm-hmm. You're lost and there's no slouch. It's not like, you know, you're just punching a clock all day. What are those 20? Is that how often you usually stay? 20, 30 minutes? Yeah. Have you been coming every day since the week or so? Pretty much. I've only missed a couple of days. And so tell me about those 20 to 30 minutes. Um, I'll just sit here, relax, and then bamboo, like I'll let him explore. And I don't know, for me, it's time to check in. You said it's busy, chaotic, but I think having that pause, like in the morning, like to journal. So it's kind of like my capstone after I journal to just really that everything in before I go about my day. Do you journal here or do you journal before you I come? journal at home. So this is the capstone to yeah. the journaling. Mm-hmm. You know, Dominique, I have to say, I admire the way you have routines, the, <laughs> the structure of your life. And one serendipitous turn out of routine mm-hmm. after a year and a half and you discover yeah. something in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. No, it is. I appreciate you framing it like that. Yeah. Routine but- breaking is better sometimes. <laughs> Babs, you have any questions for Dominique in this? Well, context? you know, she she is one of the uh, the law students that uh, I get to work with in the Yale Access to Law School program, so that's how I know her. Yes, Babs is one of our stars. <laughs> Babs, do you have any questions about Dominique's day, about the park, about? Uh... I I love that she has a uh, I love that she's a black woman with a self care uh, uh, commitment in going to this park because 
I know how hectic it is for her and to find some time to sort of do that. So, so Dominique, um, talk to me a little bit about why this is so important. It's so funny because that was literally the subject of my journaling today. I was like, I like, I felt so good journaling. Like, I need to make sure I'm disciplined and committed to this because I was like, I feel close to me. I feel close to God. And this feels so good. Like I deserve that. Like I deserve that consistency. Um, and so I think for me, it's just really important to nurture myself. Like I was journaling, like, I hope that I nourish myself so that I can be generous to others because like, I can't do that. Like I cannot be my best self both within and outside of myself if I'm not doing what supports my wellness. And so for me, I think of it as like a discipline and a practice, not in a punitive sense, but in a restorative sense. So for me, it's really important. I appreciate you seeing that in me. Dominique, um, are you in your second year? I am. And what, do you have any concentration kind of law you're interested in or something you've discovered? They need to make any discoveries at Yale yeah. Law that were like this park that you started in one direction of law. Did you discover a class or an idea? Yeah, Tell it's me really about that. Interesting. So I kind of came into always wanting to think about ways to do kind of work in kind of finance and funding and business that would ultimately support the community. And then coming here, I've learned I'm really interested in affordable housing. I think kind of before here, I was fleshing through some ideas about what were some of the core thrust and causes of some of the problems that I was witnessing and experiencing in Chicago. I have this theory that New Haven and Chicago, or at least the South Side of Chicago, are very similar, both being in proximity to large universities. Um, and you're from South Side? And I'm from South Side, right outside have the you, of Chicago. And do they have, have you found New Haven as good a vegan restaurant as the um, Black Hebrew vegan restaurant on the South Side? Okay, yes. Because I haven't found one that's quite as good. I like them here. You can't really be. You can't be. There's a good one here on, on George, but that one in Chicago, yeah. nothing matched that. <laughs> no, <we have> <laughs> um, I came in here, I, was, I discovered, I was like, oh, okay, I think affordable housing is really the way to address some of the things I'm interested in. And I was lucky enough to get into a class that was offered last semester with the law school, the School of Management, the School of Architecture. And they put us in interdisciplinary teams and we worked with local um, nonprofit affordable housing developers to actually design from start new affordable housing development. And right now we're actually working on bringing them to fruition. And so we're working with the Connecticut Department of Housing to get funding awesome. for it. So, Which is the nonprofit? Um, so I was paired with um, Beulah Land Development oh, Corporation. Oh, yes. Great. Other teams are paired with two other um, folks. Are you working on the one on Dixwell and Munson? So right now we're starting from stretch. So it's a oh. little bit secret underway. All right, don't tell me. <laughs> Because we're the media. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully there'll be some really good So it's not, not just that project. They got yeah. something else in the works? Yeah, so there's three projects. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, Dominique. Mm-hmm. Am I making too much of a parallel to discovering this park? Was there a core, Was that the course that was a new discovery and a new pivot for you? Not a new set of values, mm-hmm. not a new direction in life, but it's a newly discovered path. Mm-hmm. Exactly. To where you want to be. Exactly. What's the name of the course? Um, so it's called Healthy Housing Connecticut, and it's the first time that it ran, but they're hoping to do it again um, next year. So. Oh, wow. I'm so excited. We should probably let Dominique get back to her to her grounding herself for the day, unless you got any more questions, Babs. I'm sure you're going to see no, her in a I, later. No, I will see her soon. I know that. So Yes. See you soon, Miss <laughs> All right. Well, this is Dominique and Paul signing off from Rainbow Park Oasis in the Dwight neighborhood on Love Babs, Love Talk. WNHH New Haven's home for community.
All right. Oh man, that just that just made my morning. I love Dominique. I tell you, to be in community with these young people at that law school and you know, in this law access program has been such a bond. Like I just I'm just delighted by their energy, their commitment, their love for this city, their love for my city. You know, and the way that they are discovering the city and watching them discover my city. I don't know of a better feeling than that. I really, I really don't. So I, I Dominique, I appreciate you. I'll see her soon because she's working on some stuff uh, that I care deeply about, uh, particularly around uh, um, uh, incarceration, things like that. So, um, so I'm glad to hear that she's working on housing because housing is so, oh my God, housing is such a tenuous thing and uh, it's uh, challenging to, to uh it's one I think it's one of the most challenging issues of our time uh, housing and uh, because everything everything starts from housing everything launches from housing I mean if you have housing you you can you can sort of set your life up uh, uh you can set your life up but if you don't have housing and you're trying to set your life out life up it, it just makes it so unbelievably difficult you know uh, it makes it so unbelievably difficult. So, so high five to her for working on that, and high five to Yale for seeing the need for that kind of class. That's that's I, I've got some newfound respect for you, Yale Law School. <laughs> that's a damn good class. Like this, that's how you make some inroads, and the public doesn't know about that, right? So the public doesn't know, and I don't know if Yale should be telling people they're doing this. I, I get it. I get it. Uh, but I, I I appreciate it. But the people will find out now because Paul's going to write this up, and it'll be a lovely picture of Dominique, and uh, and I look forward to uh, talking more about about this with her. I just love these young people come to this city and make some inroads. So yes, 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 yes. Housing is such a big deal, and 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 the Beulah Beulah uh, Beulah Beulah land uh, over there on Dixwell Avenue is coming along. Like it's it's going to change. I am literally watching my city change in real time. I mean, I I I grew up seeing, uh, you know, uh, Ormond Court and all of that. Um, so it's a uh, it's a beautiful thing to sort of uh, it's a beautiful thing to uh, to uh, watch uh, the change, to watch the change, to watch the change. And I'm watching it. So there you go. So that's ah, so much good stuff happening. So much good things happening. So, uh, whew, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm feeling pretty damn good, people. So now I got to make my way over to, uh, now I got to make my way over to Rainbow Park. <laughs> I gotta make my way over. So listen, Valentine's Day is next week. It's my favorite time of the year. I love, love, love Valentine's Day. So I'm excited. I'm ready uh, uh, to be in love and to Monday I start uh some spiritual direction kind of things at at my exhibit at the creative arts workshop upstairs in the back corner, in the booth in the back in the corner in the dark. <laughs> so come through and get you some of that experience. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's where we are. We, we're going to do some things and sit with people and 
have a moment of contemplative time, you know, and just tell people that they, you know, that that they matter, that, you know, that they're cared for and that they're loved and that they're needed, you know. So that's uh that's what we're working on. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing outside. <laughs> that is what we're doing outside. <laughs> so she just Dominique just inspired me. She just gave me some some more inspiration about and then I'm gonna go see my coach, my coach uh Demi at 11. So I'm gonna see her. I'm gonna be more inspired to to do this work. So there's that part. So I, I got my little bag ready. I'm ready, ready, ready. And uh, I'm going to see what I got going on this weekend. Because I think this weekend, I'm going to make it make it a pivotal weekend for some things. Oh, my God. I have a long wharf board retreat. Ugh. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to. Okay. So that's from 10 to 4. But I can't get there to 1 because I've got... Um, I've got a um, um, Saturday Academy, so I got that to do. And uh, once I get out of that, then I'll come on home and get on retreat. So, and then uh, we'll go from there. We'll just go from there. We'll go from there. And, uh, you know, we'll do our best. So yeah, I, I I really don't like doing retreats, but on on Saturdays. But you know, you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. So let's try to figure that out. Let's try to figure it out. You know, if that's the time that everybody says, "Listen, this is the time," and this hours and hours and hours, like, oh God, I'm not complaining. It's there's not a complaint. It's not a lament. It's just, it's just a wish there was another way. <laughs> it's just wishing there was another way. But that's all right. I'm a, I'm, I'm a roll with it. I'm a player. I'm a team player. I'm a roll with it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a roll with it. It's gonna roll with it. So, anyway, um, I already talked about Biden. High five. Uh, I'm still. My heart is. My heart is still out with uh the turkish and syrian people uh, because they they are experiencing such i mean this is just you know listen this is what i'll say to you if you can spare some change money whatever drop it by somebody's uh collection for the for turkey and syria i know syria right now you know they they were in the midst of this 12 year long civil war, you know, killing their own people for some ground. And now, you know, so many of their people have died and they need humanitarian help. And uh, it's coming in very slowly. But I want you to know uh, that we can. Uh, uh what we want what what I want you to know is that we can we can uh we can be good humans 
We could be good humans. Beth, yes. Your audio just went out. Oh, did it? All right. Well, I got more problems. Can you still hear me? Or you can't oh, no, hear go me. Ahead. I hear. I hear you. I hear you. Okay. I don't know. Was I think it's time for a new something or other, Harry. <laughs> I think I need new equip. I need new equipment. I don't know what else. I don't know what else to do here. Like, what else can we get? Is there some new equipment you want to buy for me and send it? I don't know. My camera is going. My mic is going. What is going on? Well, you know, we've been at this for a long time, so this equipment is pretty. We've used it a lot. I've used. I've been using it, so nothing lasts forever. I guess. So something to think about. Something to think about. Something to think about. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I have friends right now who are in Marrakesh, um, Jackie Shelton Green um, uh, and, 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 and crew. They are they are having a good time. Uh, uh, they are they are And they're on their way now over to uh, uh, Janan Tamsna. Uh, uh, Patricia is over there. They're having a good time. And uh, I wish I was with them because I really enjoy them. I wish I was with them, but that's all right. I will be in Marrakesh late April into May. So I'll be there soon enough. I'll be there. And I'll follow their footsteps and their footprint, seeing where they go and what they're doing. Because um, they look like they're... Uh, it looks like they're having a, a really good time and the colors are just so vivid. You know, uh, it's like they're they're having a great time. And uh, and I look forward to seeing it myself. So there's that. So we're gonna we're getting ready to uh take our break, and then I'm coming back with uh Gary Tenney, who is the fire, um, one of the fire commissioners of Hamden. And uh, I had no idea that he was a fire commissioner until I ran into him at uh, uh, I ran into him at a weeds. We were hanging out and we had a good long conversation about what is going on in fire departments, not just here, but across the country and the barriers that um, black and brown uh, firefighters are facing are up against, and it is still very difficult to get black and brown folks uh, into uh, fire departments across the country. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and what's happening here, and um, maybe what could be done, and you know what would they like to see happen. And you know, it's an arduous, long process to sort of move the needle, but. They seem to understand that. So, you know, I'm here for it. I'm very much here for it. So, so yeah, so it's been a, it's been a minute since I've, I had Gary on. I think I had him on like a couple of years back, but it'd be nice to have him back on now to talk, catch up, see what's happening. I think he's bringing a guest. I think he's bringing a, a female firefighter um, so that she can speak to internally what is happening in terms of, um, you know, women firefighters getting on and getting in and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, 
So yeah, um, and it's Black History Month, and I think these things ought to continually be raised and talked about and discussed, and uh, and hopefully uh, this will help pave the way to some more solutions around, you know, how do how do we recruit? How do we get more women of color into fire departments across the country? How do we get more people of color in in these jobs? You know, what what do we need to put in place to ensure that uh, we have access to these jobs. You know, it's all, it's all those kinds of questions uh, uh, that, that require uh, eyes and ears on them so that whatever is put in place, it stays in place and that doesn't lose momentum. So that's, that's really what I'm talking about. So Gary Tinney will be on at uh, 10.15 to talk about, you know, what's happening in fire departments across the country. And he sent me a whole bunch of supportive documents. So, <laughs> so we go, we in it, we in it, we are in it, we are in it, we are in it and, uh, and do our very best and uh, talk about it as best we can. Um, and it is Black History Month. So there's lots of activities. So I want y'all to get into it, make your way over to Creative Arts Workshop and see the beautiful work by uh um, Jasmine Nicole and uh, Linda Mickens, whose work is so stunning and quite arresting. Uh, if you had not had a chance to read the piece up by Brian Slattery on the New Haven Independent uh, about the exhibit, I invite you to do so. It is quite thought provoking. Um, I had a good conversation with him about um, nuances of black expression and uh and he's his mindset is you know black people have other emotions not just joy and pain <laughs> that there's a there's, there's other emotions that ought to be expressed we had a, and it was a quick conversation but it was a really enlightening conversation uh and so i want people to uh go and see the exhibit and think about that think about what other emotions that that ought to be expressed from um, black artists and 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 the spaces to allow for uh, that expression? Do you know what I mean? So, like, where where can we express this? You know, uh, where's the expression? Where do we where do we take where do we take our other emotions? And and you know, we we've. We have given the world a steady diet of our pain. And now we are on the opposite end of trying to give the world a steady diet of our joy. And now we have to figure out how do we nuance that with all the other emotions that humans feel? How do we translate that into uh, uh, art and writing and films and TV and all the things. So, you know. Uh, so we will be back at 1015 and I will see y'all uh, in a minute. Hi, this is Babs Rawls Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. While COVID may not stop a baby's heart, isn't a child with a rising fever, cough, and chills enough to make your heart skip a beat? 
Children are 19% of reported COVID cases, with higher rates in Hispanic and Black children. Vaccinated six months to five-year-olds are 80% less likely to get COVID, which means 80% healthier New Haven one-year-olds and 100% happier New Haven parents. To learn more, visit nhbvax.org. Hyper 
as a heart attack. Nobody's smiling, cause you're expressing the rhyme that I'm styling. This is what we all sit down to write. You can't make it, so you take it home, break it, and bite. Use pieces and bits of all my hip hop hits. Get the style down packed, then it's time to switch. Put my tape on pause and add some more to yours. Then you figure you're ready for the neighborhood chores. The EMCE, don't even try to be. When you come up to speak, don't even lie to me. You like to exaggerate, dream and imagine Then change the rhyme around that can aggravate me. So when you see me come up, freeze. Or you'll be one of those seven MCs. They think that I'm a new jack, but only if they knew that. They who think wrong or they who can't do that style that I'm doing. They might ruin patterns of paragraphs based on you and you all be DJ if anything he play sound familiar. I'll wait to eat, say, play him. So I'ma have to diss and broke. You can get a smack for this. I ain't no joke.
heavens, no man, no weapon. Formed against, yes, glory is destined. Everyday women and men become legends. Sins that go against our skin become blessings. The movement is a rhythm to us. Freedom is like religion to us. Justice is juxtaposition in us. Justice for all just ain't specific enough. One son died, the spirit is revisiting us. True and living, living in us. Resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walked through Ferguson with our hands up. I, when they go down, woman and man up. They say stay and down, and we stand up. Streaming live at New Haven Independent.org. When the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be Welcome back to the second hour of Love, Babs, Love Talk. I'm Babs Rose Ivy. I'm delighted this morning to have my friend Gary Tinney on with uh, Robert Dimmons. So I've been running into Gary like over the years, and we've been having these conversations about what is going on in the fire in fire departments all across the country, not not just New Haven and Hamden, but what's happening across the country. And so, you know, uh, Gary Tinney uh, was a firefighter here in New Haven, um, has retired and now is the fire commissioner for the town of Hamden. Um, and 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 it's pretty busy. So welcome, Gary. Welcome, Robert. Unmute yourself, welcome. Robert. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. All right. So the last time I saw you, we were hanging out a little bit. And we got to talking about what's going on in the fire department and the and the barriers that still exist for people of color to get into these positions at at firehouses across the country uh, is problematic for women. It's problematic uh, women of all colors, but for black women, problematic for black people uh, to get into the fire department. So 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 talk to me about what the landscape looks like right now in in fire departments. Well, currently, um, again, my name is Gary Tinney, retired New Haven um, captain, and I'm vice president of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. Unfortunately, we're in a situation where um, you talk about the makeup of the fire service. Um, we were at one, at one point uh, numerous years ago, especially during the consent decrees and the laws that um, were made to make sure that we were hired and part of the fire service. Um, we were around 14, 15%. And I think right now we're around 7%. But I, I think um, Mr. Demons can speak to that from his historical point of view also, because he's been around the service for a long time. And uh, seeing Miss Re Regina Wilson from the FDNY, who has joined us, who has a, a wealth of knowledge pertaining to these struggles. Um, I, I just think people are in the dark when it comes to seeing the, the roadblocks and the continued struggles that we face in the fire service during recruitment, during, you know, you talk about upward mobility and you talk about retention. That's still a, a major, um, and then you drop in the, the uh, discrimination and racism. So we got, we got our bucket, the bucket's full, so. 
and, and so, 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 Gary, would you say that some progress has been made? Because it sounds like the needle has not moved enough or far enough to sort of uh, that we're still having these struggles. No, the struggles real are real. I think they might be more relevant now than they were back in the seventies um, or before that, because you had, uh, you know, a lot of our elders were in the front lines of these fights because you were dealing with the civil rights movement and all these other things, which people don't realize our organization and the, you know, black firefighters throughout the country played a major part um, in the civil rights movement. So Regina, uh, Ms. Wilson and uh, Mr. Demons, unmute yourself so you can join the conversation. <laughs> so Ms. Wilson, uh, are you a current firefighter now? Yes, I work in Brooklyn, New York um, and in New York City. And how long have you been a, a firefighter? Well, on the six, the 16th, it'll be 24 years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So what was it like for you when you first walked through those doors? When you made the decision to take this on, what was it like? Uh, well, the decision wasn't one that I even thought about doing. I was actually recruited at a Black Expo, and um, I was already working in corporate America. I was working at a real estate company. Um, and so uh, becoming a firefighter wasn't a thought of mine. I, it was nothing that I grew up with was able to have any influences. No one I knew was a firefighter. I'd never seen a black firefighter. So um, the the idea of it never crossed my mind. I thought when I got out of college, I was going straight to corporate America. So it wasn't a something that I uh, achieved to do. So and so so what was it about it that said that made you say, you know what, this might might be a good path. Well, I think it was because the recruiter told me that there weren't a lot of women and it wasn't a lot of people of color. And um, I knew the fire department to always be an honorable job and that everybody loved firefighters. So it was just curious to me of why women wouldn't think to take this profession, nor any Black people would take this profession. And so it was intriguing, but it didn't convince me. Um, uh, what convinced me were the involvement of the Vulcan Society and the United Women Firefighters who invested their time in me. And I've never, uh, uh, you know, put myself a part of a business where they actually told me that they wanted me and they seeked me out and they wanted to make sure that I, I, uh, I passed the test. They wanted to make sure that I passed the physical, like they breathed the job into me. And then everyone that I met, they said they loved their job. And I was curious because I hated mine. So uh, those were the things that kind of kept me going and kept me intrigued about the job. Mm. And uh, Mr. Demis, how long have you been a firefighter? Well, I'm re I've been retired. Uh, it'll be 23 years this year. Wow. I retired in 2020, <clears throat> but I, I did almost 30 years in the uh, San Francisco Fire Department. I started out as a firefighter, uh, went up to uh, chief's aide, lieutenant, captain, battalion chief, assistant chief. And then uh, thanks to uh, wonderful mayor, Willie Brown, I jumped from uh, assistant chief, jumped over to deputy chief uh, to become chief of the department. And that was in 1996. But giving you a little history of San Francisco, uh, I recall as a teenager during the uh, early uh, mid fifties, Earl Gage, who was the first African-American uh, firefighter in San Francisco, he was uh, joined the department. There were 1500 firefighters at the time. And I, they were all over the 
a black neighborhood, we heard about what was happening with him. He, uh, they, uh, one morning, one night, he got in his bed, and it was full of feces, and they would uh, w move him from station to station. They did all sorts of things to him, and he was in, in there all along for uh, until 1967, uh, uh, 12 years. He was in there as the only African-American out of uh, 1,500. And wow. the Afri uh, uh, population of African-Americans at, at that time in San Francisco was 15%. So there were no Asians, and I don't know what the percentage of Asians were, but there were quite a few Asians in the city and just a few Hispanics. Uh, give you an idea of what was going, going on. The, um, I, I was the first person uh, to become chief that wasn't a, of Europe, uh, European, primarily Irish uh, back, Catholic background. And so the Irish Catholics control, pretty much control the uh, city employment, police and fire and some of the other positions in the city. So I really didn't have any idea I wanted to be a firefighter. In fact, uh, I was working as a watchman and and uh, going to school uh, to be an engineer. And I started working for the gas and electric company as a gas service person. And I was uh, promised that I could get into the um, engineering department. So I didn't, actually didn't resign that job until I was two weeks into the uh, fire department. It was kind of interesting how I was recruited. Um, one of the uh, brothers, he operated the elevator at the um, veterans building where I was a watchman. And so he would always go across the street to city hall and see what uh, jobs were available. And so he came back a couple of times uh, first time with the uh, park patrolman, which paid a little bit more than a watchman. And so he told me to take that test. I did. And I came out number one. And then he came out with a museum card, which also paid a little bit more than a watchman. And I came out number three, but I didn't take any of those. But he got a kick out of that. So when the fire department he, he opened up for hiring, he brought me a uh, application. And he said, look, Bob, uh, those, look how much money those firefighters make. And all they do is sit around and play cards. <laughs> he said, you can do all your homework uh, in, in, in the station to make all that money. So I took the test, but I didn't turn my application in until the last day. And I really debated whether I wanted to do that. But just so you know, right now, and, this, and was in, the only requirement to be uh, education-wise and so forth, uh, was a um, high school or a GED. And when you think about it, those um, firefighters in San Francisco, uh, just a firefighter make approximately $100,000 a year. And so you can see how that can really uh, draw people to the, uh, to the profession. <clears throat> and uh, you can go up, uh, all the way up to uh, uh, deputy chief, uh, assistant chief, excuse me, by competitive examinations, but mm. unfortunately, mo most of these exams aren't competitive. Uh, some blacks and others go in taking the test, the others going in just filling out answers that I have already been get access to. So that's the r real problem. So. Oh, 
All right, so so Gary Tinney, uh, these these uh, uh, Miss Wilson and Mr. Demons have have twenty years, thirty years in, on the on fire in working in fire services. What does fire services look like today? Well, I mean, again, today um, I'll give you an example. Um, Hamden, Connecticut. Uh, in the beginning, before I came commissioner, I reached out to Regina because I know she's done some, you know, really solid work, not only in New York, throughout the country, pertaining to uh, race and gender in the fire service. Um, and in Hamden, Connecticut today, there are zero female firefighters. An uh, African-American firefighter female never hired in Hamden, Connecticut. Um, so that, you know, that's troublesome in itself. So so Gary, how do they explain that? How do, what do they say to you? Like when you ask the question, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you asked the question, yes, why sir. aren't there any black women or Latino women or Asian women in these in, in this fire department? Well, my take, well, some of them say, well, they, they don't, you know, are, are women applying? Um, we haven't uh, received many applications. They can't you know, make it through the process. I mean, you hear all these type of things, but I'm, then my question is, well, what have you done? What have you done to make sure that we have an applicant pool that we can tap into to assure that we're gonna retain some female firefighters? So when that question is asked, not just in Hamden and all over, um, unfortunately, they really don't have an answer. Um, but I, 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 you know, and, and the data speaks for itself. If you do not have a female in your department, there's a problem. If you don't have black and brown, or you have very few in your department, there's a problem. If you don't have people that live in your communities and given the opportunity to attain these jobs, there's a problem. So again, data speaks, speaks volume. So when you're given that information, which we have, and we've given them solutions, or come, came up with strategic plans to make sure we retain some females and people, black and brown people in our communities, um, there's really nothing they can say. And then you look at what they do or what have you done. If you've identified that problem, you know, over 30 years ago, I'll give you an example. We just promoted the first African-American suppression line officer, captain. He's been on the job for 28 years. The first African-American in Hamden, Connecticut. That, that says a lot about not only to the service, but it speaks to... What type of outreach are you doing? So we have to we have to hold people accountable, you know, and stop allowing folks to feed us the bone or you know uh, fool us with the nonsense. The data the data speaks. So we got to do a better job, not only from a organizational point of view, but from a community point of view. We got to hold folks accountable because these are lucrative positions. We used to have factories in New Haven, you know, we had Olin, Winchester, and our and folks that worked there, you know, were buying homes sending their kids to college and, and uh, doing pretty well. But those factories are gone and the new factories are these public safety jobs because people are faring well. And I think Regina, if she could speak to, you know, one thing I really wanted, I'm glad she's here, is to hit on the, the trials and tribulations and the challenges, not only from being a female firefighter, but being an African-American female firefighter. So Regina, what do you say, what do you say um, to the data that says uh, women don't apply, women are not interested, women can't probably do this? How do you, how do you rebut this? And, 
And do you feel like you have to rebut this? You definitely do. But recruiting a woman is different from recruiting a man. Right. So there's so many other layers that you have to try and get to before you can even convince a woman that this is a job that you could do. So growing up, you know, you already start with the separations with the pink and blue. You get the doll, you get the truck. Um, The boy does more of the physical labor. The girl doesn't. There's already this stigma of physical work is not for women. So when you're trying to get women in a job that's predominantly male, that's predominantly a physical job, you know, you now have to convince them that a lot of things that they've been taught or been accustomed to that they are, they could do it. So it's a level of confidence that you have to build. It's a level of trying to get a woman accustomed to the fact that you may be the only woman in the room and it may be hundreds of men in the room. Um, It's also uh, um, battling the fact that People already don't want you there, don't believe that that you can do it. Um, you're a threat to their testosterone levels, and they they never accept the fact that a woman can do the same job as a man. They don't take this job as being a job and not a man's job or a woman's job, but just a job. And you have to get them and, and push them to a point of physicality that they probably never thought that they've had to reach before. So all of these stigmas, all of this being a non-traditional space for women, um, getting them uh, accustomed to this um, this culture filled with nepotism, discrimination, racism, sexism, to now get to the point to try and get them to apply is a whole circle and gamut of things that we have to try and strip away before we can convince them that this is a job for them. So I would just say to any woman out there that want to apply for this job, I know, especially in the FDNY, I think having this job is probably the best job that you can have if you decide that you want to have a family and want to have kids. We work two days a week, eight days a month. You make over $100,000 after your fifth year. Um, You'll have more time to spend taking your kids to school than you would with any other corporate job that you will ever have. You have the ability to not only have this job, but have a second job that will be able to be something that you want to fulfill as a dream or a goal. Or if you decide that you want to invest more in your kids and, and be more connected with the schools or whatever it is that you want to do, there's so much more flexibility in the fire service than anything else. But I I, I, I rebuke all of them that say that women don't want this job, can't do this job. You have to go out and get them. You know, you can't say that we we want you, but don't provide the platform and uh, provide the funding and provide the outreach that is necessary to convince women that this is a job that they could do. Um, I have a lot of people coming to me asking me how to do it. Um, and then they'll say, oh, we want women on the job. And when it's time to follow through, you don't they don't call or they don't take the necessary steps they need to do it. So how seriously can these um, fire departments across the country be about getting women and people of color if they don't even follow through? So Regina, talk a little bit about what kind of supports are in place, because I'm sure support looked different for you in the early days to what you have now. And nobody wants to be the only one in their field of choice. So what sort of supports are in place to sort of that sort of held you down in the early days and that sustain you now as you are in your 24th year, 24th Mm -hmm. year? Yes. 
So I think like in the beginning, and this is still true today, um, being a part of a women's organization, a UWF. So I encourage any woman out there that's in the fire service to, you know, you guys need to gather together and, and focus as a team of women. You may have different backgrounds, races or whatever, but it's better when you guys come together as a collective group and come with one voice. And also um, the Vulcan Society, which is an African-American organization here in New York, where we support um, African-Americans um, on the job and those within the community trying to come on the job. And I'm grateful to God that I was able to be the president of both and I'm actually the current president of the Vulcan Society. So those organizations were my support system. They invested in me. They helped me to get this job and there still have been a stable support. So the, the people on the job, especially if you're the only woman on the job, you have to get buy-in from men on the job that are want women on the job and that can be able to help you to come up with a plan and move forward on how to do outreach. Because once women see that men um, are encouraging women to come in, it's more at ease to make another woman feel like uh, there is support on both the men and the women inside of those companies. Mm. So Gary, talk to me about the pathways. There, there are certain communities that have a different pathway to firefighting than say in our communities. And by our communities, I mean, black and brown communities. What are the paths? We don't have volunteer. We don't have access to volunteer firefighting, do we? And and is that a, a, a pathway to these jobs? Well, we have very little um, opportunities. We have some, but very minimal. Um, uh, about 14 years ago, we introduced a program at Hill House, um, and there were past pathways to public safety positions. There's over a thousand public safety careers, but you wouldn't believe the, the, the struggle, you know, one, getting it into the schools, then getting folks to buy into exposing our youth to police, fire, um, you know, you name it, uh, EMTs, uh, all these different pathways, legal. And what we would do is every week, we would have individuals come in, uh, FBI, state forensics, fire, police. Every Wednesday, we had an advisory time where you had at least 10 firefighters and 10, 10 police officers in that room speaking to these kids. So one is exposed. We have to expose them. Expose them to the opportunities. And this speaks to something Regina hit on. If you want to make those changes, if you want to hire people from your community, expose them at a young age. Show them what the fire service is about. People think fire is about just extinguishing fires. And that's not the truth. You have so much more to the to the uh, the fire service. The majority of our calls are emergency medical services, you know, um, medical calls. The majority of our calls here in, you know, mostly all over the country are medical calls. So you have to speak to, you know, you have to make that connection with the community colleges. And we have a wealth that here in Connecticut, I mean, we got Quinnipiac, we got uh, uh, UNH, we, we got a uh, gateway, we got so many facilities, Yale, that can tap into the high schools and expose these career paths so that they can get these certifications so that by the time they graduate, they have a lot of, they have these certifications that equal to college credits also. But then you don't get that. Well, we don't, you don't have qualified firefighters because in the volunteers, they give them all those, they make the connections, they network, um, they meet with the chiefs of the departments and, and so on. So we have to do a better job of getting, you know, exposing our folks to these career paths. They're there, they just don't know how to get there. Um, so, so, 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish. No, I'm good. I'm good. Yep. So, Mr. Dimmons, um, when you look at uh, the state of firefighting now, uh, what do you think? Well, unfortunately, what's going on is the um, over the years, the courts were instrumental in getting uh, blacks and women and others in, into the fire service. The courts are no longer uh, going toward for consent decrees. To give you an example, one of the things that happened in San Francisco, women weren't allowed to take the examination until uh, the late 70s, uh, well, not, excuse me, eight, early 80s. And the first women, for, first world women were hired in 1986. One of the things wow. that, uh, that you have is that the firehouse is like an old, old boys club. Some of the firefighters used to come in off duty uh, and use it as a nightclub. Okay. And I don't want to say what all went on in the firehouse, but it, it was things that, you know, they would show videos, you know, the, the, and so women being in there, they didn't want women in there. And then some mm -hmm. of the, you know, some of the wives themselves didn't want their women in there because they didn't want their husband to be around then for 24 hours, you know, um, one of the things that was interesting, we we were <clears throat> when I was president of Black Firefighters, we had a, we were fighting against a um, promotional examination lieutenant, and we didn't have uh, we had one uh, black lieutenant out of two hundred and twenty, no captains, no. So um, we were we found out people that had been cheating on the exam, so we started fighting. Uh, I became uh, president reluctantly. <laughs> of the black firefighters. And so we changed from a uh, social organization to one of an advocacy. One of the things that in a meeting with now, uh, now Senator, then Mayor Feinstein, uh, he stated, uh, someone stated, uh, well, pretty soon you're gonna have women trying to get in the fire department. And she said, I don't think women should be firefighters. Well, I almost fell out of my seat because there were people that thought that she shouldn't be a, the mayor because of uh, she was a woman. So I let that, I didn't, she's, I guess she's changed since then. But anyway, um, Earl Gage, like I mentioned earlier, the department had him in charge of uh, recruiting. And Earl told me, which I, we knew that uh, the chief of the department told him not to recruit any women. At the time, you know, he told me this after he retired and he and I was talking, but we knew that. So the black firefighters, uh, what happened was the city gave the exam that the women first uh, were allowed to compete in. There were 312 women that competed in that exam. Not a single one uh, passed the, every phase of that exam. So we knew that the uh, department, the city wasn't serious about recruiting uh, blacks or minorities or women. So we've set up our own re uh, recruitment program, the black firefighters. And I was real pro very proud of the brothers at that time because we didn't have any sisters in there. They came in off duty and recruited. And our numbers were just overwhelming and to the point that the city was being embarrassed uh, because they weren't uh, bringing in the numbers we were. So they offered us to uh, come, uh, wanted us to come under their umbrella. So we set up, set forth stipulation that we wanted 
uh, five cars, uh, phones in our office, you know, we and we wanted wanted uh, everybody to do recruitment to to be paid uh, overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, we and so because we were bringing in the numbers, they the city went had to go along with that, and also we said uh, that we didn't want the the uh, the recruiting team to uh, go to the firehouse. We want them detail to the black firefighters office and report report to us. And I submitted their overtime. So all, they went along with all of that because there was a lot of pressure. And the big pressure was uh, what really changed things was um, the our lead attorney, um, Eva Patterson, she was with the lawyers committee at the time. Um, we call her doctor. She has an honorary doctor now. Anyway, she is outstanding in forming coalitions. And what happened was that the equal rights advocates were uh, trying to uh, fighting to get women in the fire department. And so Eva had me uh, meet with the uh, lawyers for that group. And so we formed a coalition. And the thing that was really interesting was the city tried to break the coalition. Uh, they they offered to, because they knew that it was a, you know, I guess we all have to face the fact that people really, in most part, really don't care that much about black folks, okay? And so <laughs> that's just that's just my observation all these years. And uh, so when we formed that coalition, I found out that the city was offering uh, the uh, women uh, uh, selective certification and want to hire them to break the coalition. And it was a real struggle because some of the women wanted to do break with the black firefighters and some didn't. And uh, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of hate uh, for the black firefighters for recruiting and trying to get women. Not only that, we eventually uh, we we set up a program where we said we're going to follow uh, blacks in particular, but in all the other groups, women, everybody, all the way through from the time they recruited to the test, all the tasting phases through their pro- all the way through their probationary period. So we got the use of a closed uh, middle school building. And we did uh, prepare them for the uh, written exam. And some of the, um, and one of the things that really moved me was every every night, uh, day when we'd meet, I would speak to the whole crowd and sort of motivate them about, you know, tests and breakdown. Then we break down, broke down in the different rooms where we helped them with the math and other things that were going to be on the test. And what this one night I was talking, speaking to them, trying to motivate them. And this um, sister said something. I, you know, my hearing is not the sirens kind of deafening. And but anyway, I didn't hear what she said. Oh, and and so she um, she got up. Some guy said one of the other candidate, black candidate, said said something. So she got up and left out uh, crying in tears. So I ran down the hall and caught up with her. And uh, she said, uh, you know, Bob. She says. Um, uh, well, the guy had made some sexy remark about the polls, so I won't go into it. And uh, so she said she lived across the street from the firehouse, and all she wanted to do was to be a firefighter all her life. And um, that really moved me because, like I said, I didn't want to be a firefighter. Yeah, I got in and, and stayed. And so we 
uh, later on when uh, some of the women were saying, because the city set up with the, at the YWCA and City College, uh, physical agility training. And so the uh, one of the women said that was going to our uh, tutoring class and said, well, Bob, when are we going to uh, start a physical agility? So we were able to get uh, use of Ellie Hill Hutch was a uh, community center. Uh, they only had to pay $1 a year for insurance. Uh, the uh, brother that ran the uh, program, Lefty Gordon, he was real great. So we meet up and it was two two black firefighters. One had played uh, semi-pro basketball and the other one had been a uh, playground director for ye many years. <clears throat> we had very athletic, so we put them in charge. The fire department was kind of resisting giving us all the material equipment we needed. But the, they did such a great job. The um, what happened was the uh, some of the white firefighters, particularly some of the white chiefs, started sending their daughters to to, to our training program because we we were so so. Um, just briefly, the end results was obviously um, as far as recruitment. We were re we had the best recruitment program as far as results in the country at that at that time. The black firefighter, the the fire department later adopted our method. When I became assistant chief, I was put in charge of the uh, uh, recruitment program, the consent decree that we had fought and got because of the coalition. I can't stress that too much. And uh, the uh, and so what <clears throat> so what happened was. Uh, the uh, EEO recruiter, uh, civilian, I told her that uh, I wanted her to get uh, 500 uh, Asian women. And she looked at me like I was crazy. Okay. Now, we obviously were bringing in a lot of Black women and other uh, women too. And so one day uh, uh, we set up the strategy, I gave her the strategies. And she came back one day when smiling and she said, Chief, we have over 600 Asian women, just that's Asian. We had a couple of thousand women, period. And uh, and you know, like I said, our primary focus was African-American women, but we focused on all women and, and also other um, minorities. And, and unfortunately, the ones, the Hispanics and the Asians that were in the department, uh, some of them even fought us join with the union fighting us uh, because of the intimidation. What we did have, what we did have attorneys and organizations uh, from the Asian and Hispanic community that joined with us and supported us and plus that neighborhood. So when when I retired, uh, we had uh, 200 women in the San Francisco Fire Department. So we have like two minutes left. Uh, I want to, I want to, uh, uh, talk to Regina a little bit. You know, Regina, I've been paying attention to uh, the conversation around the country about uh, this movement or this thinking around changing the criteria through which women are recruited into fire departments across the country. Like maybe they they change the the weight requirements, they change the agility requirements, they change some of the things that that they believe might make it more attractive to women um, to be recruited. What do you say to that? 
Uh, I, I know that there's a lot of things in the fire service that is that are not equipped to um, to do the job in the first place. Uh, we actually have a lot of things in the FDNY that are still not validated, especially testing and some of the, the criteria it is to graduate. Um, we have ill-fitting uniforms. We have ill-fitting equipment. Um, so they're not conducive to women really given the best of their ability or agility to the fire service. And I don't think that they've taken an opportunity to take a look at um, the same events that they may have that may be able to be conducive to women passing these exams. So there hasn't been a deep dive into figuring out um, how the job can still be done and the ability that it needs to, but that there isn't an, an overage of, um, of this testosterone masculinity of what they perceive these jobs to be, but to really look into the dynamics of the job and to figure out what needs to get done. And then real quick, I just want to talk about your question that you had about change. Um, mm -hmm. The only reason why there's change and the increases of women and people of color came from lawsuits and consent decrees. They would never do this on their own. They don't want us here. There's a lot of nepotism that happens on this job. There's a lot of people that uh, know how good these jobs are, but would never allow people outside of being white to be able to join them. So the fire department itself sued the Department for Discrimination and won $100 million, but it is on the backs of the same people that we're trying to recruit that have to pay these lawsuits from these negligent departments that are not seeing that they need to invest in the community as a whole and that Black people and women are more than capable to do these jobs and not putting these barriers like you spoke about um, with changing some of the testing mechanisms in order to attract us and get us here. Mm. So Gary Tini, I'm going to give you the last word. Um, right. So um, so talk a little bit about the organizing that's going around to sort of help change that. Robin, I mean, I'm sorry, Regina talked a little bit about that. She said, you know what? Uh, you had to uh, legally force the hands of these fire departments across the country just sort of uh, do what they were supposed to be doing in the first place. So mm -hmm. what does the organizing look like, Gary, on the ground all the time about cha making change? Well, again, this is, this is uh, you know, it's a collaboration with many of us across the country because we're all facing the same issues. So one, it's easy to identify. And then strategically, we meet. And due to the pandemic, that's kind of set us back. But fortunately, we met through Zoom. But that being said, um, we have to, for instance, for the physical part, the CPAT that uh, Regina mentioned, the physical agility test. In Connecticut here, you have a facility, Connecticut, the State Fire Academy. You have a place in Meriden, Connecticut. They offer the class twice a year. And then when these departments put it out there for uh, part of their hiring process, um, these classes fill up. And of course, we're shut out, the people over in our communities, because they're not in that network. They don't know. And then when they find out, unfortunately, it's, it's too late. So that's been a prerequisite. Now, to get have this physical agility certification has been a prerequisite for a lot of departments. Um, so the folks that are serious about changing that, and I believe there's some legislation here in Connecticut to change it, to modify it, uh, you know, because a lot of these things, when you talk about women, you talk about the uniforms, the gloves, all these things, they're not, they weren't made to fit female firefighters. So you want them to test and, and go through these, these uh, different uh, uh, testing mechanisms. And right off the bat, you know, if you have something that the, if the weight is off, if it throws your balance off, 
any of those things are going to play a major part. So when you talk about access, affordability, because it costs, and then you got to fight the fa- you know, to get to become one of them firefighters, to be recruited. So you're facing all these barriers and, and it's not only time consuming, but it's it's an unfair barrier because it doesn't give folks the opportunity to to, you know, enter the fire service. So we got a lot of work to do, but we really want to have the community. We didn't really tap in a lot into race. We did a little bit, but there's a lot of different uh, incidents that I would love to talk to you about that we continue to face in the firehouse. And I, you know, I appreciate you having us. And I just, you know, I appreciate everybody that came on too, but you get a, a better insight because you got New York, you got San Francisco. Um, um, you know, it's, it's, just, it's the same mess. It's the same strategy all over the country. And we just have to find a way to, uh, I'd say, save some souls, give folks the opportunity to come <laughs> fight. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on and I I want you to come back. Like, I don't want this to be the one time that we have this conversation because I think you're absolutely right. This begs for a larger conversation over a period of time. Uh, That's the only way that it gets into people's hearts and minds that there is a problem here. And I think uh, I'd love to be able to sort of have more conversations around this matter uh, uh, moving forward. So think about when you want to come back again and we'll have, and we'll keep having these conversations. Thank you. Appreciate it. Nice Thanks to meet you, uh, Regina Wilson. Nice okay. to meet you, Robert Dimmons. And Gary Tenney, I will see you out here in these streets. <laughs> yeah, you will. <laughs> Let me say Hi, also, um, to, to you, Regina, and you're listening to if you need any, any type of support or anything, let me know. Y'all take care. Enjoy your day. Be safe. Thank you. And I will talk to y'all real soon, I hope. Stop a baby's heart? Isn't a child with a rising fever, cough, and chills enough to make your heart skip a beat? Children are 19% of reported COVID cases with higher rates in Hispanic and Black children. Vaccinated six months to five-year-olds are 80% less likely to get COVID, which means 80% healthier New Haven one-year-olds and 100% happier New Haven parents. To learn more, visit nhbvax.org. Vision, dreams of passion And all the while I think of you A very strange reaction The more I see, the more I do Baby Tell all your friends they can go my way Pay your toll, sell your soul Pound for pound costs more than gold The longer you stay, the more you pay My white lines go a long way Either up your nose or through your fame With nothing to gain except killing your brain
Sometimes it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. 